my first year. So my freshman year, I was in Ulm, Germany. My sophomore year, I was in Augsburg, Germany. My junior year, I was in Frankfurt, Germany. And my senior year, I was back in the States in Medfield, Massachusetts. Sports helped me assimilate, helped me learn new friends, but I still hung around with that same crowd that aligned with my values. I was really good at sports, and I was really good at those other things. Academics, I'd go to class, and I'd do just enough to get by. And so we moved back to the States. Really, baseball was all that could get me into school. And my father called his alma mater, VMI, sent the information to him, and they picked me up for a baseball scholarship. Division I school, military academy in Virginia. Now, to say that the military lifestyle was aligned with my lifestyle uh, would be a complete and huge and utter lie. It was completely contrary. I couldn't really uh, appreciate at the time the value of structure, the value of discipline, and uh, to this day, I believe, well, I know for a fact that our class was the longest class to break out of the rat line, which is when they assimilate you to the regular class, otherwise you're lower citizens, so you have to go through this process. Most people break out in February. We broke out three days before finals. And the commandant made them break us out. I think I still hold the record for demerits. The only reason I wasn't kicked out of the school was because my father was an alumni. Made him proud. Probably not. So left VMI, survived the first year, go to Winthrop College. In my year, I'm sitting out down at Winthrop. Uh, I have to sit out to, to play the next year for baseball. So I'm sitting out, and these two really cute girls, Mary and Sue Molnar, come up at a place and say, hey, why don't you come out for the cheerleading team? I was like, cheerleading? You want me to be a cheerleader? But Mary and Sue were really cute. They were very persuasive. And so I went out for the cheerleading team, and by golly, I made it. So that's where God kind of brought this cheerleading thing into my life. Totally, Winthrop, instead of the all-guy school, I'm going to a school that's eight girls to one guy. The school completely aligned with my value system, and I failed out. So, mom and dad cut me off. You're done. No more. Only thing I have to do is go back home, live in my house. I start building uh, sun decks back in Northern Virginia. The plan was, I was like, all right, I've got to get this together. I'm going to build sun decks. Then I'm going to go take classes at the community college, and I'm going to work my way back. Then I'm going to go to George Mason. I know I can be a professional baseball player. Uh, I'm going to, I've already talked to the coach over there, told him the plan. I was going to come play baseball at Mason, get drafted by the New York Yankees, and life was going to be all good. And then I get this phone call at home at my mom's house. This is before cell phones, you guys. And uh, she goes, uh, Billy, it's, it's the coach at George Mason uh, University. And I'm thinking, yeah, Billy's heard about my arm. I'm really good. Answer it. It's this guy named Joe Dash. He's the cheerleading coach at George Mason, who apparently knows the cheerleading coach at Winthrop. She called him and said, hey, you need to get this guy on your team. He's really good, blah, 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 blah. But he's a problem. You're going to have to keep an eye on him. So go to George Mason, he walks my application through. Only way I am getting into that school is for somebody to be able to pull some strings. He pulls those strings, gets through. I practiced with them for that week. He gave me a full scholarship. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to pay for school. And uh, so he gave me a full scholarship. I got the full ride, I'm on the team, got this new chance. What am I gonna do with it? Well, I'm gonna screw it up again. 
We go through the process. I'm really athletic. I'm a pretty good motivator. And so I'm elected team captain my junior year. There's two ways to lead. You can lead in the right direction, and you can lead in the wrong direction. I was really good at the latter. And so we push the team. We go down to compete for the national championship. Uh, this time it was down in San Antonio, and we win the 1990 national championship. We go out that night. We celebrate, arms up. Woo-hoo, we're partying, having a great time, and I am on the mislead path like a champ. And the Kentucky coach, we used to play this game where we'd slap each other's foreheads. It's just a stupid guy thing, you know? And so, uh, you know, we're around slapping each other's foreheads. I told you you guys were going to be shocked at this guy who's speaking today. And the Kentucky coach comes up, and he jumps in the game. And he starts slapping me on the forehead. And I said, T. Lynn, if you slap me in the forehead one more time, because they've won more national championships than anybody, and he'd always wear his, like, all his rings. So he's hitting me with these rings. We're, I mean, I'm like, at this point, I'm well on my way. And he, I said, you hit me one more time in the head, I'm throwing you in the pool. And he hits me in the head, and I grab him, and I pick him up, and I throw him into the pool. And then I go on doing my thing, and we're all high-fiving, laughing, having a big time next morning, go to get on the bus to load up, to head out. Uh, back home to uh, Fairfax, Virginia, and Joe Dash grabs me by the arm. By the way, T. Lynn is a mentor of his. And he grabs me by the arm. He pulls me aside. He goes, I don't want you coming back next year. You're off the team. I was like, I'm the captain. We just won the national championship. How are you going to do this without me? But guess what? Life goes on. I don't have this anymore. So we go back. I finish out that semester. And that summer, the things, I had nothing left. I didn't have baseball. I didn't have cheerleading. I've alienated everybody in my life because all I cared about was me and making sure I was happy. And that summer, I just spiraled down. I didn't know who to go to. And all I did was drink, party, wake up in places that I shouldn't have been waking up in. And I was coming home one morning from another one of those episodes. It was 7.30 in the morning. And I don't know if it's up there, if you could put it up there, but uh, I pull up to the crossroads of George Mason, West Ox Road and Braddock, right there. I have that hanging in my office to this day. And I pull up, red light, I stop at the red light, and I mean I am at the absolute bottom of my life. I look in the rearview mirror, I look myself in the eyes, black circle, eyes lifeless, absolutely at the bottom, didn't know what to do. And I heard, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. And at that point, I'd been to church maybe 15 times, probably heard that there because it's Ephesians chapter 4. I felt this presence, that stoplight took forever to turn. I knew that I'd been wasting my life, the talents and the gifts that I had. I didn't choose them. They were given to me. And pulled across the street, pulled into a parking lot, and I just broke down, crying. I didn't know where to turn, no one to talk to, didn't know what to do. Only thing I knew to do was I was going to go into the bookstore and get a, a self-help book. So the bookstore opens, I walk in, and I'm looking in the self-help section, and I couldn't find a book on how to not be a jerk. And so there actually is one uh, that I did find that does the same thing. And this book said, Holy Bible. 
It was green. I still have it today. And at that, again, hadn't been to church uh, much my whole life. I was, you know, Christmas every once in a while, Easter every once in a while. And so I, I just, every time I went, I felt this connection. I felt right there, and I grabbed it. And so, you know, what you do with every book, you know, now it's like, oh, no, no, start with John, or no, no, no. You know, I, I opened up from the beginning, Genesis, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. Great stories. I mean, these guys are all jacked up just like me. You got, you know, Moses is killing people, and, you know, babies are thrown into the water, and I'm like, this is good stuff. And then I get to Proverbs, and there's all these little by little great wealth is built, and all these great little nuggets is practical. Have you guys read this book? I highly recommend it. It's great. So, you know, I don't know where to turn. I don't know who to go to. So I just start reading it. And, and, and I decided I am not settling anymore. I have got to make my life something. It's got to matter. And so first thing I stopped was partying and womanizing. I was like, I want to find a, <clears throat> someone who I can love and who will love me back. And the Lord provided. This young lady, Heather comes in to, uh, I went back, I apologized to the coach. He said, you know what, you can't be on the team, but I'll let you help. And I helped with tryouts, and this girl comes in, and I'm telling you, my heart melted. I was like, oh my gosh, she was beautiful. Pure, just looked innocent, just, ugh, and just, she was an angel. And so, you know, there was a little age difference. Remember, I'd been going to college a pretty long time at that point, and so she was a freshman. So I had to get over that hurdle in my head. And finally, once I, I kind of got, I was like, you know what? So, you know, eventually, you know, when I'm 52, she's going to be 46. It's not going to be that bad. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, she gets enrolled. She starts her freshman year. And I, get the, I get the nerve to, to ask her out. And, you know, pretty swab, debonair guy, right? So I walk up and, you know, walk up to her. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to, you know, you, you want to go? She goes, no. <laughs> I was like, what? What? Don't you know who I am? And she goes, yeah, that's the problem. And, but uh, the other thing I am, is I'm persistent. And so it was not, that was not it. And, and I had changed at that point. I wasn't doing the things I was doing before. And so I kept asking her, kept asking her, kept asking her. I was like, then at Christmas, I stole all the team's license plates and I wrapped them up into presents. And I dressed up as Santa Claus and I showed up to the team Christmas party and hers was last. And she came and sat on Santa's lap. And she opened up her license plate, and everybody at that point was just laughing, having a good time. And I said, you know, hey, you want to go come over to my place and watch some football uh, Sunday? We'll get some O'Doul's and, and hot dogs and have a good time. She said, sure. And so door was opened. Ten months later, we were engaged, and life just started getting better. So I told you my GPA was 2.23. The last year of my college career, and it certainly was a college career, I had a 4.0. I finally had someone and something other than myself to live for, and life just started getting better. So I had to do an internship my last year. That's how I got onto varsity. I worked as an instructor uh, during the year. We moved down to Memphis, uh, and we get married, and in 1993, and at this point, I'm still 
not a Christian. But I'm reading the Bible. I'm into it every day. I think this is the greatest thing ever written. And my wife gets pregnant. And August rolls around 1993, and we're in there, and I'm so excited. And we're poor, like dirt poor. I was making like $17,000 a year, and we're starting a family, and you know, we're in this hospital, and there's all these worries that we have. And the doctor hands me McKinsey. You look at something so perfect and so beautiful, and I think to myself, God, how could you give such a precious gift to a scumbag like me? And I knew I had to get her somewhere and Heather somewhere where they could learn about what I was reading about in the Bible. Someone who could actually articulate it and teach it and put it all together because I couldn't do it. And so we, I was like, I made a commitment. I said, we're going to go to church next Sunday. And so we started going to church. And as we started interacting uh, with our senior pastor, Dr. Young, he explained the gospel to me. And he told me about all these characters and, and how they're all imperfect and how we're all imperfect and how God is a loving God and that God so loved the world that he sent his son, God, took on flesh and came to the earth. And he lived the perfect life, the life that we were supposed to live. And he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross so that we could claim his righteousness and have eternal life. And my wife and I gave ourselves to the Lord that year. We both got baptized together and we both began uh, our walk with the Lord. And life continued to improve. I was following God's principles. I was following uh, the way that our creator created us as closely as I could. I still had, you know, baggage that I was trying to get rid of and all of that. But I was pressing on, pressing forward. And um, as we were going along, we had two more kids. Uh, McKenna, who's uh, now a rock star, McKenna Bray. You can download her on Spotify. Sorry, shameless plug. And then my son, Hopper, uh, they were young and, you know, I was moving along. I was 28 years old. I was promoted to vice president of uh, our company, headed up the largest division. Everything was just going along great. And I started getting plugged into the inner city ministries and being more active. You know, I love Memphis. It's an awesome place. If you guys haven't been to Memphis, it's the coolest city in the world. Sterling's great, but Memphis is like awesome. It's like the birthplace of cool, right? But when we landed in Memphis, I grew up in cities. I grew up in military all over the country. When we landed in Memphis, it was like I'd, I was transported to the 60s. There is this like divide between black and white, it's unbelievable. I was like, what is going, where did I land? It's unbelievable. And so as I started plugging in, I was like, this is not as it ought to be. We've got to fix this. And I just felt this urge to do something to make it right. And I started plugging into inner city ministries and, and, and really trying to do everything that I could to, to try to help and bridge this ridiculous thing. You guys, and there's like a million churches in, in Memphis. There's black churches and white churches. I was like, what? What? You read this book and you're getting that from this book? That's not as it ought to be. And so as I'm working with these kids, I was telling Pete this morning and Luke at our breakfast, you know, there's a, I was working with this family and they had seven kids. All seven kids were from seven, diff, seven different dads. Okay? Their modeling made my modeling look like, you know, rock star. And it was the end of the day and I asked the youngest kid, Kenny, he's seven, to pray for us. And Kenny 
we all bow our heads and this is Kenny's prayer. Lord, thank you for letting me wake up this morning. And thank you for protecting my brothers and sisters from the bullets last night. That's a seven-year-old's prayer. That's not as it ought to be. And God took me on another journey. So I was feeling more and more compelled. So that night I came home and I was convicted. I'm driving home and I'm going, and I'm thinking about my modeling. And my wife came from a broken home. I'm thinking about her modeling. And then I'm thinking about these kids and the modeling that they're getting. I was going, this is not as it ought to be. We've got to do something. And so I was like, I want to adopt a black male and I want to teach him how to be a godly man and to love his wife like Christ loved the church and to raise his kids as they should go. When they get older, they will not stray from it. We need better modeling in our inner cities. And I came home to my wife and I'm, I'm, I'm on this, we're going to conquer the world. Now, I put my wife through a pretty tough time. Our kids are three, two, and one. Stay at home mom. She's like, you know, so, but I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about changing the world. And I come home and I sit down with my wife and I'm like, honey, and I tell her the story and, I, you know, I build it up and I got it all framed up right. And I'm thinking this thing's a home run. And she looks at me and she goes, no. Out she goes. And that was the end of the conversation. I'm sitting there like, wow. Okay, well, I guess, you just, I guess the timing's wrong. But I really felt strongly about this. The next week, my wife gets something in the mail. Jury duty. Jury duty. And my wife, she's so Pollyanna. She so loves America. And she's like, this is my duty as an American. I'm going down there. She's got three kids that are little. And I'm like, honey, honey, do not go into jury duty like that. You will be picked for sure. She goes in there, she's doing it, and she gets picked on the most visible crime in Memphis and is sequestered for two weeks. White attorney, black client. White attorney gets shot in the head by his black client. Caught on film in the parking garage, caught going into the parking garage with this rental car, caught going out of the, rental, or out of the parking garage in the rental car, murder caught on film, open closed case, right? She's calling me during the trial. They're sequestered. And she's going, this is so awesome. It's four white jurors, eight black jurors. You know, they're, you know, having a great time talking, da 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 and moving on down the road. And they get to deliberation. And first-degree murder, open and close, right? Four to eight. Second-degree murder. Four to eight. Manslaughter. Five to seven. Accidental homicide. My wife bursts out in tears, slams her hands on the table, pushes back and says, you guys, I know you are living a life that we don't understand and I know you're living a life that you don't understand of them, but my gosh, I know this guy was a jerk. He was a horrible attorney, but he didn't deserve to be killed. He has a family. So the foreman moved it back to manslaughter. 12 to 0. Three to five years. She left scarred. She's bawling at the table. The white foreman comes up to her. An elder 
at his church. And I hope this pisses you off as much as it did me. Puts his arm around her, says, honey, welcome to the South. Get used to it. It's just the way it is. That may be the way it is, but it's not as it ought to be. On earth, as it is in heaven, that's what we're called to do as Christians. Just because something is the way it is does not mean it's the way it ought to be. And no matter what journey you are on at this college, everyone has different gifts, everyone has different abilities, everyone has a journey to go on, and everyone has the responsibility to make it as it is in heaven. And so Heather came home from that. We stayed home from church on Sunday. We prayed that morning. We read scriptures that morning. And sure enough, we get to Deuteronomy and said, I'm moving your tent. God's moving the Israelites. And he was moving us. And my wife said, I'm ready to adopt. So we began the process. Things are going great at work. I mean, I'm killing it. I am like the man. I'm the heir apparent. By the way, Pete has this superhero skill where he plays the exact right music at the exact right time. I don't know if you know this or not about Pete. And so we're at a camp, and I'm getting ready to get on. And, you know, everyone knows that, oh, Bill's the golden child. He's going to be the next in line to take the founder's job, blah, 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 blah. And uh, every time I would take the stage, Pete would play Lion's King. And I just can't wait to be king. And so I got everything going on at work, got this great corner office, upward trajectory. Um, I got this great family that I'm pouring into, but I still feel this call to do more. I can't do more. I've got my day full. I'm doing inner center ministry. I'm pouring into my own kids because I want to give them a family that I didn't have growing up, my wife didn't have growing up. I want to pour into my wife and I want to love her like Christ loved the church. I have all these things I can't give them up or I thought I couldn't give them up. See, what I didn't want to give up was this great career that afforded me all these other things, all these other things that the world tells you is important. Position, title, money. Nice had his great house. And uh, God had other plans. It's like, God, I hear your call, but... I don't have time for you. I don't have time for this thing. You're going to have to find somebody else. I'm pretty busy. And that's when God threw me into the belly of the whale. 2002, and I'm a pretty happy, peppy guy, but 2002, uh, I went into a deep depression. And year and a half, every night, I'd go to bed at 12, I'd wake up at 2, sweating. And finally, after the first few months, I just started getting up and spending time with the Lord. I said, an hour? It used to be four hours. And I would, I'd beg God, please, Lord, take this off me. Please, Lord, take this off me. I have no idea what you want me to do. Lord, please. Year and a half. Then I wake up one morning. My wife, you know, I, I you know, come back into the room. She's like, what is wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I don't know. She goes, I want my Billy back. And I couldn't do anything. I was stuck in this dark place. And so I got up and I did my quiet time that morning. And I opened it up. And 
I said, Lord, and this is the prayer I had uh, for at least over a year, please help me. I don't know where to go, what to do. Please just take me out of this. Give me back my old life. And I opened it up to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to read this to you. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Hmm. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those. You see, these were all the things I was worried about. I was worried about losing the job. I was worried about, and not having that job, I'd lose everything else. And I keep reading. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And this is the part that hit me right between the eyes. O ye of little faith. You see, I didn't trust God to take care of me. I didn't trust to step out on the edge on a journey that he was asking me to go on, that he had put on my heart. And so he had to put me where I was. I did not trust him. And when I look back on my life, it was him that opened my eyes. It was him that led me to Heather. It was him that provided me with this unbelievable family. It was him that gave me this great job. It was him that gave me these abilities and these talents. It was all him. I did nothing, but he was second in my life at that point, and I was still first. And so... I kept reading, therefore do not be anxious. So what's the solution? Do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after that. The unbelievers, these are the things that, that they think are important and add value in life. The non-believers think that the best car, the position, you know, that's all a lie, FYI, for those of you who don't know Christ. Don't, don't worry about those things. Your Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. That was it. I was seeking my kingdom, not his kingdom. And so I got down on my knees that morning. It was a Saturday morning. I said, Lord, you open the door. I don't care what it is. It is yours. It is all yours. I am sorry. I confessed my lack of faith, and I said, open the door. I don't know where to go. He opens the door, and out I go. I have a great day with my family. I jump on the plane uh, the next morning. And by the way, that night, I slept eight hours. When you don't sleep but two hours a night for a year and a half, you know when you got eight hours sleep. 
I woke up, I was, wow, this is, I forgot about this. So I'm like, okay, something's happening. I get on the plane. I was on our committee at church to open up this big youth sports, Christian sports complex behind the church. I chaired the committee. I wanted to make sure we had programs and curriculum built around that to really create Christ-centered programming, the thing. I get on the plane. We take off. I get to 10,000 feet. I pull out my laptop, and for two hours as I'm flying to our national sales sales meeting, my fingers are going. I mean, nonstop. Two hours later, we get down below 10,000 feet. Waitress, or the stewardess says, you know, close your laptops. I close my laptop. I sit back and I went, I just wrote a 17-page business plan. Never once hit backspace. And it was done. I've written business plans many times. I can tell you that's not how they happen. And I sent it out when I landed. I got to the hotel, sent it to the committee, and I get a call later that night from Dr. Young, my senior pastor at the church. He said, Bill, he's got a real deep voice. He said, Bill, this is brilliant. And I was going, well, you know, just passing around. It's, you know, it's first crack at it. I just typed it on the airplane, da-da-da. And uh, he said, you know, well, let's get together when you get back in town. So sure enough, that week, eight hours every night, I went, it was the business plan. He wanted me to write the business plan. Boom, I can live with that. Friday, I go meet with him. We have lunch. I landed at about 10, go met him for lunch, sit down across from him. We don't mince words. He looks at me. He goes, how much will it take? And I said, well, it's on the back page. I did a P&L. I flipped it back there. Here's what you need. You need uh, this personnel and blah, blah, blah that can run the program, go out, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and he goes, no, it's not what I meant. How much for you to do this program? I knew the number that was in that, and it scared me. 75% pay cut. And so I'm like, thinking back on my Saturday on my knees, Lord, open the door and I'll go through it. And I was like, but I thought that was the business plan. The business plan was the key that opened the door. And so I get in my car and I'm, I'm driving home. I just got back in town. And my, you know, my wife you know, kind of shared with her I was you know, sleeping better, but you know, it's not like, hey, honey, I slept eight hours. Um, not something you kind of share about the trip. So uh, I'm, I'm driving home and, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to frame this up. You know, I was pretty bold on the, on the adoption thing and I was ready to go. This one scared the heck out of me. I'm driving home going, oh my gosh, how is this going to go? Three kids about to go into one of the most elite private schools in Memphis. Great house, great career, all this stuff. My wife gets, you know, I mean, we nice cars, everything, all of those things. And all of those things would have to change. Public school, uh, adoption, we were already down that road, but we were going to continue down that. We were going to have to move into an apartment or a smaller house. Uh, there were, and I'm trying to go through all of the scenarios as I get home pull into the driveway, I sit down with my wife, we pray, I tell her about what's happening uh, and what happened, my, my prayer to the Lord uh, the Saturday morning a week ago, and then what happened on Friday, she said, Billy, I just want my old Billy back. Go. If I have to flip burgers and live in an apartment, but I can have you, What an awesome wife. And so 
That was one conversation. Now I got to go have a conversation with my boss. This guy's been pouring into me for 20 years. He's, you know, he brings me on all these trips. He's teaching me all these things. He's, you know, I'm meeting upper level executives. I'm learning about private equity. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the know on the business side and, and I'm the handoff. I'm like, all right, next up, you're in. And so I'm thinking about that conversation. And so I go in, and I had to give him 10 months. I was, I told uh, our pastor, I said, I got to give you 10 months. So uh, go in and uh, sit down with Jeff, and, and I'm like, hey, you're not going to understand this completely, but I, I need to start a youth sports program. By the way, it was in, we were going to start with tackle football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not an easy sport to, you know, soccer or something like that. We're going to start a Christian tackle football league. By the way, had never been done uh, before at that point. And so, but everyone in Memphis loves football. So uh, I go and sit down with him, and I share with him the, the, where I feel like God's calling me. And he looks at me like I am out of my flipping mind. And he goes, are you sure? And I said, yeah. Lasted about three minutes of conversation. I go back. I go to work for her. Four hours, he comes back in, slides this piece of paper across the desk, and he said, that's your new salary starting immediately. And I push it back across the desk, and I said, I'm not staying. I told you I've made this commitment. I'm going to go. And he pushed it back across the desk, and he goes, regardless, that's your new salary for the next 10 months then. And he leaves. And so I'm like, should I open this darn thing? So I open it up and basically doubled my salary. And so uh, I, I call my wife, tell her what happened, call my pastor, tell him what happened. I said, look, I could pay for two people to come in and do this job now. Maybe that's what God's wanting us to do, <laughs> hopeful. And <laughs> good idea, huh? And pastor goes, yeah, that's, the, you know, that's kind of out of, the, uh, you know, out of the ordinary you know, thing you and Heather should pray about. So we prayed about that night. I go to bed, I get to bed about 11, 30, 12, wake up two hours later, sweating. I ain't going back there. You got me. I'm out. So uh, I went, and for the next 10 months, packed that money away, talked about my kids going to private school. That 10 months paid for three years of private school. God provided. Day I'm getting ready to leave to begin this journey that I have no clue how we're going to start other than the piece of papers I have. Boss comes in, says, hey, you think the church would let you consult while you're away. And I was like, I can ask him. He said, here's how much we're going to pay you. It was the exact amount I needed to keep our kids in school and to stay in our house. God provided my faith. And all along this journey, my faith just got stronger and stronger because as I began walking, truly walking with the Lord and seeking his will for my life, I began to see him in all these different ways. I talked about tackle football. That's nuts. I came in for my quiet time. I go to my guy uh, who works in our office named Scott. And I said, Scott, he was our athletic director. I said, Scott, I've got it. I know how we're going to form these teams. We're going to do it around schools and churches where these kids hang out together. They can build positive peer groups. And as they're learning how to grow in the Lord, they're going to be these positive prayer groups that when they go into middle school, they're going to have an impact on the school, and I think it could help transform our community. And he looked at me, he goes, you're flipping nuts. The football thing, I don't even think it's going to work. And so I go to my office that day, and I'm like, he's probably right. And so I start, you know, thinking about some other ways that we're going to do this. I get this knock on my door. Guy walks in, he goes, hey, uh, I started a, a, a youth football league with uh, some of the small Christian high, uh, elementary schools. Last year, we've got five teams in the league and it's too much for us to handle. I heard you were getting ready to start a new league. Would you take ours over? 
swear. God provided. I did nothing. I just ran the race that was set before me. And every one of you has a different race to run. And you've got, if you don't know the Lord, you've got to get to know the Lord and you will enjoy the life. Embrace who you were created in Christ. And so I want to leave you with this. Three things I try to live life by. Three words. Repeat after me. Live. Fight. Yeah, the guys are like, yeah! Fight! Love. Live, fight, love. Live a life worthy of your calling. It's different from mine. It's different from everyone in this room. But it's worthy. It's worthy. Live a life worthy of your calling. You guys know who you are apart from Christ. And then know who you are in Christ. And live that life Stay close to him. As you grow in him, you will advance and move on and you will feel life in a way that you've never felt it before. Rich. Not the things that this world tells you is important, but the things that are truly important to our souls. Fight. Fight. For how things ought to be. Fight for those who can't fight for themselves. How many of you guys are business majors in here? Great companies work in the ought to be. They create things as they ought to be. That's where the value lies. Communities are changed where they ought to be. Government is not going to fix our problems. They're not going to put families back together. They're not going to put businesses together. They're not going to change things in this country. We are. Fight for how things ought to be. And then love the unloved. That's what Christ did for you, and that's what Christ did for me. My favorite verse in all of scriptures is on Calvary, and Christ is being nailed to the cross. And he looks up to heaven, and he says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They're blind. They can't see. They don't know any different. They're following the flesh. And here he is taking the nails. That's love. When you go in to take on, when your heart gets pricked, and you go on to take on something that's hard, go in there, but know this. Love is hard. Marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Hard is good. We're not promised easy. We're promised hard because of sin. When you go into an inner city community or you go into something that you, need, you know is not what it ought to be, you're not going to get paid well for it. It's going to hurt. You're going to be taken advantage of. You are going to be abused, talked about. Take the nails. He took them for you. Take them for them. Live, fight, love. Have a great day. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you.